Look with me down at verse 13. And we're going to read these verses together. Verses 13 down to verse 24. Paul writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You again. And we ask that you would be with us now to quiet our minds and our hearts. May you take away whatever may be lingering in our minds, causing us to distraction, making our minds wander. May you help us to focus on your word now, and may you fill us with your spirit. May you reveal your word to us truly not only to our our physical eyes, but to our spiritual eyes and to our spiritual hearts. And may You give us the ability to receive Your words with joy, with gladness. And may You help us put these things into practice. As Paul says here in these verses, may You enable us and strengthen us to be walking by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, but fulfilling the desires of the Spirit, bearing its fruit, His fruit. Father, we thank You for who You are, and we thank You for Your Word. Be with us now as we walk through it together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through, uh, especially chapter 5, the past couple of weeks, whenever we were in the letter anyways, you remember that the last time... We, we left off, we were, we were talking about Christian freedom and how this freedom that we have received through Christ is true freedom. In Christ, in the freedom that He gives, when He sets you free, you have true freedom. And it's true freedom because He sets you free 
and He alone sets you free from the Mosaic Law, which is what we've been looking at throughout this letter. He sets you free from the Mosaic Law and its crushing expectations. He sets you free from the wrath of God, which bears down upon us because of our sin. He sets you free of that. He sets you free from the enslavement of sin and the guilt that comes along with it. He sets you free from the punishment of death. And He sets you free from the bondage of Satan. Those five things that I named a couple of weeks ago. The Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone is able to set you free from these things. And within this freedom is genuinely true freedom. But as we saw, this freedom does not lead to a a people who just then do whatever they want. It does not create a spiritual anarchy. I use that word. Once you are free in Christ, it does not mean that you think to yourself, oh, I can sin and just do whatever I want now. You know, I'm free. The Lord Jesus Christ has removed the wrath of God. He's removed death. He's removed the punishment of sin and judgment. And so I can just sin all I want to and this grace may abound all the more. You know, that argument that Paul sets forth in the letter to the Romans. And he says, by no means. How can we who have been set free from sin continue to live in it? No. This true freedom, this freedom in Christ, it does not create people like that. No. This freedom creates and enables us to freely and joyfully submit to the will of God for our lives. That's the, that's the type of people that this freedom creates. This is, the type, this is what this freedom brings. You are enabled to joyfully and willfully submit to the will of God, which results in us, as Paul says in verses 13 and 14, loving one another and serving one another. You may remember the example that I give that I gave a couple of weeks ago about what our hearts were like before we were Christians and what our hearts became after we became Christians. So before we were Christians, I said that our hearts were much like a like a vacuum which was created in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve rejected God and fellowship with God was then broken, and there was a void created in our hearts. That's where the vacuum comes from. And because of that, we just go around trying to suck satisfaction from other people, other things, from the world. We try to seek justification in other things, from other people, things of the world. That's what this void does. It just sucks and sucks and sucks, but it's never filled. But then you meet Christ. You see His face. You see His glory as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. God revealing Himself, His glory, full strength in the face of Christ. And that void is no longer empty, but it is filled. And instead of just going around trying to suck satisfaction from other people and seek justification from other people and other things, you are now 
filled and you begin to overflow with the love and joy of Christ that has been given to you. And that enables you to serve. Because you're filled, right? You're full. You don't need anything else. You don't have to suck something from your neighbor to you know, feel delight or anything like that. You are experiencing delight in Christ. And so you just overflow to others. That's what Paul talks about there when he says that we are now able to serve one another in love and fulfilling the law in that. Once you are filled in Christ, the law that was once crushing, bearing down upon you, you now actually obey it from your heart because of Christ and being filled in Him. Now, it is possible to hear those things, to hear about this being filled in Christ, the joy that you're supposed to have in Christ, the delight that you're supposed to have in Christ, and the service that's supposed to result in that delight and joy. And instead of leaping for joy, you can sink into discouragement. Because you may be thinking about all the times that you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. All the times that you have failed to serve them. Instead of looking like the person who through love serves one another in verse 13, you look more like the person in verse 15. Biting and devouring one another. Think of the times when you in your sin consume each other out of selfish ambition and things like that. Well, I want you to be encouraged, Christian, this morning because the Apostle Paul in chapter 5 here, he's not setting forth perfection. In putting this before you and being filled in Christ, he's not saying that once you are filled in Christ, you will then be perfect. That's not true. So the Christian life is not defined by perfection. That's not what Paul is saying. The Christian life is defined by progress or by bearing fruit. That's how the Christian life is defined. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to show us in verses 16 down to to 24. And ladies and youth, you should be... familiar with this concept because we just finished uh, Matt Chandler's study on the letter of James. And we were looking a lot about that truth, right? That the Christian life is not about perfection, but about progress. Making progress in the Christian life. Growing in your faith. Although we fail and make mistakes. Same thing's going on here. But something I want you to notice in these verses is that Paul paints the picture as if it's a war that goes on within our hearts. He puts before us a war that goes on within the Christian. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, a good bit of time, you know what I'm talking about. Because there are days when the war within, the spiritual war, wages hard. So he says in verse 16, he's talking to the Galatians now, these Christians, these new Christians. 
And instead of them being a people who bite and devour one another, consuming one another, he says, no, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see that opposition there that Paul says in verses 16 and 17. Think about the Christian life for a moment. When you are filled in Christ, not only are you filled with the joy and the delight and the satisfaction of Christ, but you are also filled with, as Paul made clear at the beginning of chapter 4, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, as he says. And once you are filled with the Spirit of Christ, He begins to make you cry out, Abba, Father, these genuine affections for God. And these genuine affections for God and for the things of God, they are opposed to who you once were in your flesh. Right? Who you were or in your pre-Christian state, you could say. That's what Paul means when he uses the word flesh there. He's not talking about just your body. He's talking about your pre-Christian state, your flesh, the part of you that is not sanctified or completely glorified. That is your flesh. And the way of the Spirit, is it is opposed to this part of you. And it causes a struggle within you. Daily, when you wake up in the morning, the war begins. As a Christian, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, it wages war on your flesh. You no longer want the things of the flesh. You, know, you no longer want to live that way. You want the things of God. But yet, there's a part of you that continues to rise up, I guess you could say. It continues to rise up and tempts you, seeks to lead you astray, seeks to make you wander away from the Word of God and things like that. That's what Paul's talking about here, this opposition. The desires of the flesh, your pre-Christian state, are against the desires of the Spirit and vice versa. And so Paul calls these Christians and he calls you to be walking by the Spirit. That's the command. And then you have a promise right after it. So walk by the Spirit. That's the command. And then the promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you are walking by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that word gratify there means that you will not bring them to completion. You will not complete them. Again, Paul's not saying that you will never fail or sin, but ultimately the flesh will not have victory over you. That's what he's saying there. So if you're walking by the Spirit, the flesh will ultimately not have victory over you. So we need to what? We need to make sure that we as Christians are walking by the Spirit, right? We need to make sure that we're doing that. 
So what does it look like to be walking by the Spirit? What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Well, we, we get a couple of hints in this passage. A little bit further down, Paul says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit also means that you are being led by the Spirit. The Spirit is your leader. He is your guide. And then further down, Paul lists off the fruits of the Spirit. What it looks like to be walking in the Spirit. If you are walking in the Spirit, if you are being led by the Spirit, these are fruits that you will inevitably bear. These are things that will happen. Now I want to give you three things, or three places, I guess I should say, three places that you as a Christian should be consistently putting yourself in so that you will be walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit and then bearing the fruits of the Spirit. Because there are three places that the Spirit in a sanctifying way pours Himself out. The first one is the Spirit of God pours Himself out or He leads His people in the Word of God. In the Word of God. So if you want to walk by the Spirit, if you want to be led by the Spirit, if you want to bear the fruits of the Spirit, then you need to be in the Word of God. You need to be... Oh. You need to be putting yourself consistently in God's Word, reading it, knowing it, drinking deeply from what God in His Word says in it. If you do not put yourself in the Word of God, if you do not place yourself underneath it as the Spirit pours Himself out in it, you will be a very dry Christian. That's how it will be. Your soul needs food, right? Very much like your stomach does. We often say that. Well, if you're not in the Word of God, you're not feeding it and, and you'll starve. You will struggle to know the way in which the Spirit would, would have you walk, the way in which He would lead you. And you will miss out on the fruit that He has for you to, to bear in your Christian life. Second, so first, putting yourself underneath the Word of God being in it. Next, in prayer. Going to the Lord in prayer. Putting yourself in a place of prayer, in communion with God. Communing with God. The Spirit pours Himself out in the place of prayer as individuals and as a Christian community, which is how we met this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, praying together. You need to be praying. Again, if you are not a praying Christian, individually or within a community, you're going to be a dry Christian. And you are going to be missing out on how the, the Spirit would be leading you. Asking how He would be leading you throughout the day. Going before God, seeking His presence, asking for His counsel, bringing before Him your petitions. 
the Word of God, and prayer. And then the third one is among God's people. You need to be gathering together with God's people. Because it is when we gather together that we encourage one another, that we confess our sins to one another, that we pray with each other, that we not only just encourage each other with nice and good things, but we encourage one another with God's Word, right? We remind each other of the promises of God. We remind each other what the Spirit of God says in the Word of God. What God does in prayer. So if we are not putting ourselves in these three channels, you could say, if you're not putting yourself in those three channels, that it's very likely that you're probably not walking with the Spirit very much anyways, or being led by Him, or bearing the fruits of the Spirit that we're about to see in a moment. Then jump down now with me to to verse 18. And Paul says, But if you are led by the Spirit, so if you're being led by the Spirit in those ways that I just mentioned, if He is your guide, if you are consistently in His Word, consistently in prayer and gathering together with His people, bearing fruits of the Spirit, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what I think Paul means there is again, he's talking about you're no longer in this pre-Christian state. When before, the law of God was kind of this outside form of rules, of commandments that came across your rebellious heart. It came from the outside trying to get in. And it just kind of bounced off because we were rebels, sinful people, estranged to God. But then, when you come to know Christ and you are filled in Christ and are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the law of God is no longer coming from the outside trying to get in, but it's written on your very heart, right? The law of God is no longer this outside thing, but it's brought upon your very heart. And through love, you just begin to do it. You begin to obey with gratitude and with joy. You're no longer under the law as an oppression, like Paul was talking about earlier in the letter, like this guardian going around watching you, disciplining you, telling you what you need to do and what you don't need to do. You're no longer under the law in that way. You're being led by the Spirit, and He writes the law of God on your very heart. And then in verse 19, Paul begins to lay out what it looks like to be walking in the desires of the flesh and not in the desires of the Spirit. He lays some of these these fruits of the flesh out for the Galatians so that they can see them, so that they can know what they are like, and so that they can examine their own hearts and see where they are at if they are walking in the flesh instead of the Spirit. And so as we walk through these characteristics, this fruit of the flesh, I want us to be examining ourselves. 
So I'm just going to read through them and, and comment on them as we go. So he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are clear. They can be seen. The desire itself may not be able to be seen, but the fruit that it bears is. And this is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You can, you can group those three things together because all three of them are referring to sexual sin. Sexual sin is a fruit of walking in the flesh. Now I want to try to be as clear as I can on these three things because our world today, it is consumed with sexual immorality. It is consumed with sensuality. It is consumed with impurity. What what do those things look like? What does sexual immorality look like? Well, first... Remember how God Himself defined sexuality and sex itself itself and how it's to be enjoyed. Sex and sexuality is to be enjoyed between one man and one woman. So, homosexuality is sexual immorality. It is impurity. It is sensuality because that's not a true relationship in the sight of God that's not true marriage that's not a true sexual union in the eyes of God that's not that's not how he created his gift to be enjoyed and Paul's playing here at sexual sin that's sexual immorality enjoying the gifts of sex or sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage in any way whatsoever is sexual immorality. Living with your girlfriend, living with your boyfriend, no matter how old you are, not being married, enjoying this gift is sinful. It is to be enjoyed within the confines, within the bond of marriage between one man, one woman. Everything outside of that falls underneath those three characteristics there, those three fruits of the flesh. And then he continues. Idolatry. Sorcery. You can group those two together. Worshipping anything or anyone else other than God or seeking some spirituality through anything else besides through God or through His Spirit or through His Word, which would be sorcery. People trying to seek the spiritual world or the spiritual realm through whatever you would like to call it. Magic or, as Paul says here, sorcery or anything like that. The many ways that these things show themselves. Which those people are out there, by the way. That people who would call themselves, I guess, like satanic worshipers who actually commit themselves to this type of 
sorcery. I mean, it's not something that we see very often, but you can be sure that people like this are out there. And it's actually, it's actually pretty scary how far these people can go into this and begin to become like demon-possessed and things like that through it. But it's all idolatry. It's all seeking to, to, to worship someone or something else other than God or seek the spiritual realm or spiritual things through something else besides God Himself and His Word and through His Spirit. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. All of those can be lumped together because they all describe a person who is angry within their own heart. They are an angry person. They are a bitter person. They are an aggravated person. They are a person who is not thankful for what God has given them. They are a person who is without love for others, as we're going to see in a moment in the fruits of the Spirit. And then you have envy. A person who is discontent, or again, someone who is not thankful for what God has given them. They desire what other people have. They are unhappy with the life that they have been given. They desire what others have. And in that moment, when you, when you envy others, whether you envy their stuff, you envy their life, or the gifts that they've been given, the rewards that they've been given, the popularity they have, or whatever it may be, in that moment you are saying to God, what you have given to me is not enough, and I do not appreciate it, I'm not thankful for it, I want and I actually deserve more. That's envy. And then the last two that Paul specifically names is drunkenness and orgies. Again, these are the misuse of God's good gifts that He gives to His people to enjoy. Drunkenness, the misuse of of alcohol, of wine, or drinking beer or whatever it may be, some form of alcoholic drink. I want to be careful as I say this. But if you notice, the Bible never condemns alcohol itself. It never condemns wine, which is about the only thing that's really mentioned in the Bible. I mean, the Bible does say strong drink. But the Bible itself never condemns alcohol. God created alcohol. And then throughout the Bible the people of God enjoyed and drank wine as a form of celebration, as fruitfulness, and things like that. But it's the misuse of wine, becoming drunk with it, or worshiping it, seeking satisfaction in it, or seeking comfort in it. Or in other things, not just alcohol, but in orgies. Again, sexual activity the misuse of it, the misuse of the gift of sex, and things like that. These things are not pleasing to God. They are misuse of His gifts, and it is outright rebellion against Him and who He is, and how He's created you, and how He's created the world around you. And I want you to listen very carefully to the warning that that Paul gives after he names these things. 
He says, I warn you as I warned you before, talking about whenever he was there in Galatia, when he preached the gospel to them originally. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who make a regular practice of these things show that they are not walking by the Spirit of God and that they are not Christians. They are not lovers of God. I mean, they may say that they know God. I mean, how many people do we know that that say that they know God and that they are lovers of God, but yet they fit that category? Or some of those categories anyway. They show themselves for who they really are. Someone who is a genuine lover of God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who has been filled with His Spirit will not make a normal practice of walking in these things. They will not. And I just do not understand how people, especially the the LGBT nation, can take the Bible and say that God does not condemn homosexuality. Or people who constantly abuse alcohol or whatever, somebody who's in this list, they say that, you know, God doesn't condemn these things in His Word. Okay, well, have you not read verses like these? Where Paul is very clear and very plain that if you practice these things, if this is what your life looks like, if this is what defines you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's plain. And this is not the only spot. Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians about these things. That people who are like this, they're not Christians. And one day they will not enjoy God for who He is. He will cast them out of His presence. But, continuing in verse 22, now I want you to note the contrast as we start walking through these things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. I want to stop there because those three that Paul just named are the crucial three, you could say. It is within these three fruits of the Spirit that everything else flows from. Love being the greatest of all, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, the great love chapter. The love, love is the greatest characteristic of all. It is the greatest fruit of the Spirit of all because it is the one that most plainly reflects who God is and His character and His person. Then you have joy being filled, like we've been talking about, with the joy of knowing God, knowing Christ, being filled with His Spirit, and then being filled with peace. You have peace with God. And when you have those three things, you will be growing anyways in patience. You will, in some measure, be a patient person. Because you're filled with love, you're filled with joy, you're filled with peace. And you know that God controls all things and that you operate on His timetable and not yours. And therefore, when something does not go your way, you know ultimately it will go God's way and you can be patient in it. Kindness and goodness, 
Christians are kind people. They are good people. Not perfect, but they love people genuinely. We are concerned for the souls of the people who live in this world. We seek to do them genuine kindness, genuine goodness, meeting their needs, ultimately seeking to meet their ultimate need, which is their need of a Savior. Faithfulness. Christians are faithful people. God Himself is faithful. We take after our Heavenly Father. We are a faithful people. We do what we say we will, or we will, we do what we say we will do. We are gentle. We are people who exercise self control. And you think about what Paul says here and contrast them to what you just saw in the, the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. I mean, this, this looks totally different, right? From walking in envy, walking in divisions or drunkenness or idolatry, sorcery, impurity, sensuality, sexual immorality, all those things, lacking self-control, lacking love, lacking joy, lacking peace, lacking patience. When you become a Christian, you are filled with new desires and you become a totally different person. At first, it may just be seen in a small amount. But as you continue to walk with Christ and to be led by the Spirit of God, walking with the Spirit, these things will begin to manifest themselves. You will be seen by others to be a different person. They will say, hey, you know, he or she, they're not like they used to be. They're, they're not, you know, something is different about them. It's because they're filled with the Spirit of Christ. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. And then Paul says, against these things or such things, there is no law. There's no restrictions on these things. There's no law against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then in verse 24, Another thing that Christians are defined by. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are a people who have and who continue to crucify our flesh. We have been crucified with Christ, as Paul says in Galatians chapter, the end of chapter 2, where he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's you, Christian. You have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. But... And this goes along with the fact that we live in the already, not yet. We have been crucified with Christ, but yet our flesh 
continually seeks to make himself known every now and then. And we are called to over and over and over again by the power of the Spirit, by the leading of the Spirit, crucify our old selves. Constantly, when, they, when that old self rises up, you say, no, get back down, get back on the cross, I guess you could say. Get back up there. That's not who I am. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You get back over there. That's not who I am anymore. I don't live like that anymore. Going back to that spiritual battle that goes on. And oh, there are some days when it rages hot, right? Days when you just, when you feel like your flesh is beating you down so much, you don't even feel like a Christian anymore. But if you are filled with the Spirit of Christ, you will, as Paul says, in verse 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It will not have victory over you. In Christ, ultimately, you will proclaim victory as Christ did over the works of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and what he wrote for us and here in his letter to the Galatians long ago. We thank you that you are with us and that ultimately we will not gratify the desires of the flesh because we are being led by the Spirit of Christ. He is in us, filling us, bearing fruit in us. Father, I also ask that as we were talking about a moment ago, that we would continually be examining ourselves, making sure that we are indeed in the faith, walking according to the Spirit, being led by Him, putting ourselves in the Word of God, in prayer and among our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh Lord, may You be with us. May You strengthen us for this fight that rages on until the day in which Christ returns. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.